Hi, I'm Brienne. And I'm Ben. And I'm Neurotypical. I'm Neurodivergent. And this is Typically Diverse. So for this week's episode, uh, we're going to talk about uh, our diagnosis process. Yeah. But before we jump into the main topic of this episode, uh, we like to do a little anecdote, like story of the week. So what's your story of this week? Um, my story happened yesterday and it's something that happens all the time. Like this is not just a one-off that happened. Um, so often like when I'm showering and I'm washing my hair, like it's a longer shower. So you'll sometimes jump in while I'm washing my hair so that you can like use the water and then you'll jump out. And so last night I was washing my hair and you jumped in the shower and then you jumped out and then you like dried yourself and then you started brushing your teeth because like we were going to bed and then... So I finish like washing my hair, conditioning my hair, blah, 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 get out of the shower, dry myself, start brushing my teeth. I am done brushing my teeth and like using my mouthwash and everything. And you're still standing there brush brushing your teeth. That's an in inverted commas because you were on Twitter at the same time <laughs> and you'll get distracted when you're on Twitter and you're like brush, brush and then like scroll Twitter for two minutes and then brush, brush and then scroll for two minutes. <laughs> I was looking for a very specific tweet to show you. <laughs> it's so funny sometimes that like I'll start something ages after you and I'll be done first because you're so distracted. And I like obviously that's just your brain. But it's I think it's a good insight into our lives together that like this is a routine, easily once or twice a week thing that happens. Yeah. What's your story? My story of the week was also yesterday, actually. Oh. And it was when the bath was running for our daughter. Oh. And <laughs> I know where this is going. Um, normally, I'm the one who deals with the bath. Like, I like set up the water, check the temperature, the level, etc. But um, yesterday, at some point, you went into the bathroom. I often check the level, which I think has to do with this story. Like, you often yeah. ask me to check the level while I'm in the bathroom or something. Um, but yesterday, you were... In the bathroom at some point and yes. so i ask you how's the bath and you answer oh yeah it's good it's a good temperature yeah it it, it's nice it like, was a good temperature yeah and what about the level oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you had hey sorry that's our dog with her squeaky toy you had checked the temperature therefore like Put your hand or elbow, however you check the temperature, but you, you check the temperature, which means you must have seen the level, and yet somehow you had no idea what the level was. Okay, let's calm down on the sass, because that's what you do every time with everything. I'll ask yeah. you, like, you'll go do something, and I'll ask you about it, and you're like, oh, I don't know, because you didn't think about it. I do that once, and it's because I have baby brain, so you can turn down the sass. So at the beginning of the episode, you talked about how this episode was about the diagnostic process, because for those of you who listened to last week's episode, which I would assume is everybody listened to this week's episode, but who knows, we might have new listeners. Hello, new listeners. Um, we have both been diagnosed with a variety of different conditions or things, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, and we've both gone through very different processes for getting diagnosed. Um, and I think that's also because what well, we've been diagnosed with are different things yeah. at their core. Like you've been diagnosed with neurodivergencies, which is a different diagnostic process than what I've been diagnosed with. Um, and it's also like I have depression and anxiety, which are very common um, conditions throughout society. So I think it's interesting for other people who think they may have these things or who do have these things to hear what it's like about like getting diagnosed with these things and how it can look different for everyone and it can have similarities to your own story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so my story is a little bit complicated. I've been seeing therapists slash psychologists on and off um, since I was about six years old. So from six to... 21, 22-ish, I would see a psychologist for a few months and then I wouldn't see anyone for a few months and then I'd see a new one for a few months and then I wouldn't see anyone for a few months, which is honestly not the best way of doing things. Um, but that was because 
as a minor, my mom was in charge of medical stuff. And so she would pull me out of therapy because it wasn't working or um, well, she believed it wasn't working or she believed it was a waste of time or whatever. Um, so I only started seeing therapists kind of by myself and for myself when we moved to Australia. And so I saw a therapist every two weeks, I believe, when I we think so, yeah. lived in Victoria. And then when we moved up to Queensland, I didn't see one for a few months because I was heavily pregnant when we moved and then I had a newborn, so it took a while to get back into it. But now I see a therapist kind of every two weeks to every month. Um, so I found out from my mom when I was in my 20s that I was actually initially diagnosed as a six-year-old with a potential diagnosis given when I was 18 months old for depression and anxiety. So what this means is basically when I was 18 months old, my parents divorced and I didn't take it very well as an 18 month old and I struggled a lot and I had a lot of like obvious, but well, I find them obvious. My mom obviously didn't, um, but obvious like anxiety symptoms. I'd get really scared if I was left alone and I was just like an anxious little toddler. And my mom did end up taking me to see some kind of a child therapist or something at that point because it was it had gotten to the point whenever she'd come near me I'd scream and obviously as a single mom looking after me full time that was a bit complicated and again I only found this out in my 20s that therapist actually told my mom that I was displaying symptoms of depression and anxiety and that it was something that had to get dealt with and managed otherwise it would actually develop into full-blown depression and anxiety and my mom didn't believe that, so she didn't do anything about it. <laughs> and then when I was six, I basically had a mental breakdown. Um, and that's when I really started having like loads of panic attacks and stuff like that. And so I saw a child therapist and they never told me my diagnosis because again, as a six year old, I'm not sure if they thought I didn't understand. Obviously you have to realize also I was six in like 2001. Um, so people weren't really of the mentality that kids should know their own diagnosis and the understanding was you tell the parents and then the parents will manage it. So again, found out much later that at this point, the therapist told my mom, I do have um, depression and anxiety and they had to get managed and I had to maybe go on medication for it or definitely see a therapist. So of course my mom pulled me out of therapy at that point. Um, and so this is kind of a recurring theme throughout my childhood that like, teachers would contact my mom and say, hey, it looks like Brienne probably has anxiety issues and she seems really depressed all the time. I would start seeing a therapist for a problem my mom believed I had and then suddenly I would get pulled out of therapy and I know now it's because they would contact my mom and say, hey, listen, it looks like she's got depression and anxiety. Um, so I only fully actually got the diagnosis for myself when I started seeing my therapist in Victoria. And I was talking to her about like, you know, I feel kind of depressed and I feel really stressed all the time. And so we kind of went over a lot of my childhood and she kind of just sat me down and said, listen, this isn't easy to hear, but you went through abuse and trauma and you now do have depression and anxiety for it, from it. And it was this huge like smack in the face of like, hey, these feelings you've had since you were six have a name and are a condition and isn't just you with a messed up brain, because that's just what it seemed like to me. So it took it took me a very, very long time to get diagnosed with something that technically I was diagnosed with 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> but because my mom didn't ever see the point in sharing this information with me, I never actually got to work on my own conditions until I was in my early 20s, which definitely affected a lot of my childhood and growing up and stuff like that. Yeah, and you mentioned there was uh, trauma, and I remember you in the last episode uh, talking about uh, CPTSD. Yeah. Uh, did you also get that at the same time, or did that come at a different time? So the CPTSD diagnosis came... Um, so with that therapist, she kind of talked more about it being PTSD, um, because she was linking it to one specific event in my childhood that was traumatic. Um but it's only in the last year since seeing my therapist here that she was like, it's probably more CPTSD because though you did have that one traumatic event, you've had other similarly traumatic events throughout your life. And even so like there's these like big traumatic events and then there's the smaller traumatic events throughout your life. And so she was saying because of that, it would be more diagnosis of like 
complex PTSD or CPTSD. Um, so that diagnosis came fully about a year or two after the whole depression anxiety diagnosis came in. Okay. So it's, and that's something I would definitely say with people who, like you see a therapist and they're like, hey, looks like you probably have depression. Don't leave it at that because there's probably going to be more things coming out of that and with that. And the more, and this is what I've learned now, actually seeing therapists more long term, the more you talk to a therapist and see them and the more they get to know you and get to know your story, the more accurately they can, Yeah. sorry, the more accurately they can diagnose you with something. And so like, don't just get an initial diagnosis and walk away. If you can, obviously, sometimes you need to walk away to just digest. But do try and like push through and continue with it because you're more likely going to get more specific diagnoses to your specific case, which can really help you then heal from whatever's going on. If healing is a doable thing, obviously. Yeah. Because like, you can't heal from like ADHD. No. <laughs> like there's no healing from that. But like depression, anxiety, there's a lot you can do. I mean, again, in my case, and that's again a bit different, um, I have like what's colloquially called chronic depression. So because I was depressed throughout my childhood and my teenage years, my brain basically formed around depression. So my base level of like serotonin and dopamine are like what a healthy brain has as a like abnormal low level, but that's like my normal. So when my brain is like in its normal state of happiness, I'm still in a depressed state because my brain has just developed like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the level you are during your, your teenage years and when your brain settles into adulthood kind of becomes your normal and yeah. therefore... So like in my case, there isn't actually healing from depression and anxiety. Yeah. And those are like a lot of people are like, oh, you're depressed. Oh, like just go to therapy for a year and you'll feel better. Like, yeah, I'll feel better. I'm still depressed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll just learn to manage it better. And, and as a lot of the work I do in therapy is um, creating new neural pathways. So it's physically changing my brain chemistry in the hopes that I can teach my brain to be not depressed or not as depressed. And it has worked. Like, I, I used to have panic attacks multiple times a week, and I get them maybe once or twice a month, which is a huge change. Um, but, like, again, healing is a bit of a strong word when many mental health conditions you don't heal from. Yeah. Especially depending, as say, on your own situation. Like, in my case, I will always have depression, anxiety, CPTSD. Like, those aren't going to ever go away for me. Yeah. And I think part of the, the work you do when you say, like... Uh, with the the neural pathways and like reducing the panic attacks and stuff it at least on my outsider view it's more work on the the trauma aspects and therefore like reducing the amount of triggers of mm -hmm. your cptsd or at least the the intensity of the the reaction they create rather than actually working like i'm not saying you don't work on the depression itself but it's it's, it's looking at the, the root of the depression and trying to change the way I view that. Because so a thing with memory and especially memory of traumatic events is your brain, my therapist explained it like this, your brain doesn't understand time. So if you're thinking of a traumatic event, your brain's kind of stupid and thinks you're back in that traumatic event and that's how a trigger works. That like there's something that reminds you of a traumatic event and your brain's like, oh no, we're back there. And so you start panicking and you'll have a panic attack. And it's kind of what we're doing now at the moment is actually a lot of um, like hypnotherapy and I don't remember all the other fancy fancy words she uses, but it's a lot of like going back to a traumatic event in a calm, collected, safe state and safe, safe space and then kind of reassessing and reevaluating how I view that. Um, so like a good example is I don't really anymore, but I did have a really bad phobia of moths due to a traumatic event in my childhood, wherein I saw a moth around the same time as the traumatic event happened. And so my brain associated moths with that trauma. So since I was about six, every time I'd see a moth, I would have, and you've seen these, yeah. crazy panic attacks. Like I can't breathe, I'm collapsing on the floor, I'm freaking out, and I'm shaking for hours on end afterwards. Which is a problem because moths are everywhere, especially we live in the tropics. They're literally yeah. everywhere. At night, there's just everywhere. So every night I would have panic attacks. And I talked to my therapist about this. And she's like, okay, well, this is something that needs to be dealt with. You can't avoid moths. Like if I had a phobia of like, I don't know, helicopters, 
that's easier to avoid. You don't tend to have helicopters every day around you. I mean, we do because we live near an Air Force base. So that was a bad example for us. But like, a fear of beluga whales. I can, I can, you can avoid beluga whales, um, but you can't really avoid moths, especially in the tropics. And so we worked on going back to that traumatic memory and I had to like describe everything I could see and feel and smell and what it, what was going on and then I had to like both be myself as a six-year-old who is getting traumatized and be myself now as a collected adult and I had to like help the six-year-old not feel as traumatized from what was going on and like protect her from the trauma so that adult me no longer has that traumatic event in my past, if that makes sense. It's very like interstellar, like if you move this thing, it then changes the entire space-time continuum. Um, but it's basically what therapy does a lot of the times. It's like going back to your past, changing how you view something that happened to you so that the present you isn't as affected by it. And it worked. Like I can see a moth now and not freak out. I still get really nauseous and I'm uncomfortable, but I'm not having a panic attack collapsing on the floor screaming. So it's improved. <laughs> I've definitely gotten better. Um, but yes, that's the majority of the work we do now that I've been diagnosed is just how can we basically put band-aids on what's happened so that it doesn't hurt as much. But the, the thing is still there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Is it my turn? Yes, it's your turn. Um, so... As mentioned last episode, I have uh, inattentive type ADHD. Um, I also have uh, some level of depression and anxiety. It's a bit unclear at the moment where, whether these are um, comorbidities or just... Um, I forgot the term for it. The like conditions that are like a... a side effect or like a consequence of having another condition there's, there's a symptom term. no i, I haven't yeah. had my coffee yet so you're asking a lot of me <laughs> um yeah so it's still unclear whether my depression and anxiety are kind of like independent of my adhd and i just happen to have uh, all three at the same time or if the depression and anxiety are consequences of bad management of the ADHD, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so regarding the, the diagnosis process, um, I had no clue whatsoever until I was 22. Mm -hmm. um, partly because I, I didn't really know what ADHD was. Um, I had some preconceptions that were not necessarily correct. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole typical, oh, ADHD is a kid who can't sit still and runs around the room. Yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. picture you picture yeah, a kid and uh, the more like physically hyperactive type. And Which I think, I'll just interrupt again, yeah. isn't helped by the fact that you know my sibling who has ADHD, who is the kind of kid who just runs around the room. <laughs> yeah. So I think that didn't help your preconceived notion that like ADHD is a kid that runs around the room thing and not ADHD is something anybody can have. Yeah, that, it's yeah. <laughs> not just kid, you can still have it in adulthood. Um, and that there's more than just the, the hyperactive type. And so when I was yeah 22, uh, I once uh, came across a Twitter thread of someone that I was following for a completely different reason that um, happened to have ADHD and was making a thread describing what their experiences were. And... It actually really clicked with me and like I related to, to a lot of the stuff and therefore I started researching it a bit more. Um, I read a few articles, uh, watched a uh, few like YouTube videos, uh, stuff like that. And kind of like, yeah, the, the more I was reading and researching about uh, inattentive type ADHD, the more it seemed to, to click with me. And therefore, um, at the time, I was uh, seeing a psychologist um, also around uh, every two weeks, like about twice a month kind of thing um, for uh, something that I, I thought was unrelated. Like, because when I started seeing her, I didn't know uh, mm -hmm. about that. I, I might potentially have ADHD. Um, and uh, one day... Uh, I brought it up with her and 
her reaction was basically that because I had done well in school, like both primary, secondary school, and uh, I was in uh, like doing my master's degrees at the same time I was seeing her, and I was doing okay with that too. So um, she basically like was saying that I like I'm a smart person, and that's like what I was describing as what I thought were symptoms of uh, inattentive type ADHD. Um, she was saying she thinks it's just the fact that I'm smart and that's the way the brain of smart people tend to work. Um, and that instead of seeking an ADHD diagnosis, I should, I should take an IQ test instead and look into like groups of people with high IQ and like interact with them more and stuff. Um, I wasn't too convinced by that <laughs> answer, but uh, <laughs> I didn't really push more than that. Uh, now that a few years later, I have my diagnosis and uh, I, I'm a lot more active in uh, neurodivergent um, circles. Um, it, it's something uh, I see a lot of people have come across is the idea of because you did well in school, it, you, you can't have ADHD, which is... Uh, absolutely ridiculous especially like again interrupting because that's what i do you weren't doing like you were doing well in school and the subjects you liked the subjects you didn't like you didn't hand in a history homework for two years <laughs> you weren't actually doing well which was school. a red flag for my adhd <laughs> but um we'll come back to that uh, later uh, i just love when people are like oh you did well at school it's fine i'm like no he, like i knew him at school he was not doing well. like he was doing in like physics, maths, chem the things you liked, you were doing exceptionally well. The things you weren't interested in, let's say you didn't hand in a history piece, like a piece of history homework for two years because it just pooped out of your brain all the time. So like that, to me, that's a warning bell that something's going on. You're not, it's not that you're exceptionally smart. Like something's going on here. Anyway, I'm done. Yeah. So the, the thing, I'll just drop in on that quickly. Um, so in in school i i was uh quite good at all the scientific subjects and i happened to get really good grades by barely studying in those subjects and in the subjects that i didn't like as much uh like languages history geography all of that um yeah, I would like struggle a lot to to do my homework and stuff like that. And thankfully, I like I still managed to get relatively good grades because, like, I was like participating in class and and during tests, I was still managing to get decent grades, and mm -hmm. so it kind of compensated for it all. And therefore, I never like repeated a year I'd, like in. My whole like school life I didn't like fail a subject or anything like that thanks to all of that but yeah I, I like I did have like subjects where I was really good at and, and was managing to to get extremely good grades by barely doing any work and so uh, like in that regard I can see where she's coming from but just just the result is not and a good indication of how no. someone's brain might work and stuff like that. So, yeah, when she mentioned that, uh, I wasn't too happy, like, not too happy, but, like, I wasn't convinced by, by her answer. So I didn't go seek a IQ test and start <laughs> interacting, in, like, with high IQ people or whatnot. Um, but... I, I like the work I was doing with her, with the, the Usher, uh, Usher, other issues. <laughs> <laughs> I combined the two words. <laughs> it's early in the morning for us. Give us a minute. Yeah, it's 10 a.m. It's early in the morning. Okay, you drove to the wrong place this morning. <laughs> hey, you already did your anecdote of the week. It, it, we're past that now, okay? We're talking about diagnosis process. You still drove us to the supermarket instead of daycare. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> what was that? Oh yeah, I just... <laughs> diagnostic process. 
But that's vague. Uh, I yes, I was uh, liking the work I was doing with her on the other issues I was having at the time, and therefore um, I didn't bring up uh, the ADHD anymore. But I didn't uh, start seeing someone else uh, either. And anyway, a few weeks or months after that, um, she retired well she stopped working at the practice uh we were seeing her at uh and a few, few months after that we moved into state and so again after the move it also took me a few months to get started uh seeing someone because again like we had just moved and then we had a baby and yeah no <laughs> there wasn't much time left for yeah neither of us prioritized our mental health which in hindsight, it was really not a yeah. good idea. But that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, after a few months, a few months after moving, sorry, I uh, started seeing uh, another psychologist uh, here in Queensland. And um, I kind of like for the same issues I was seeing my other psychologist back in Victoria for initially. Uh, but quite quickly, I again brought up uh, the ADHD and he was a lot more supportive and said mm -hmm. that like from what he can see and what I'm like describing to him it, it sounds quite possible that I have it uh, he also uh, thought it, it's possible I might have uh, ASD autism mm -hmm. spectrum disorder um, it I did a like pre-screening assessment with him also, it was just like um, a few questions and then get a score from 0 to 10. And I got uh, 6 out of 10, which was just the threshold to uh, get further assessment. And therefore, because based on the uh, opinion of my psychologist, he thought uh, it was quite possible that I have ADHD and or ASD. Uh, I then went to my GP to uh, get a referral for a psychiatrist because mm -hmm. uh, to get a, a proper diagnosis um, that's usually the way to go is here in Australia is through a, a psychiatrist so um, I got a referral to, to a psychiatrist uh, to get um, both an ADHD and ASD assessment mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what it said on my referral it was like for both and um, so I uh, booked an appointment with um, the the psychiatrist that my GP had referred me to. There was like a three month wait. Yeah, yeah, it, it was quite a long wait, and then um, and it was expensive. So I just want to point that out. Like it, it's an expensive <laughs> yeah, yeah. process going through all of this. It, it, like, it is it an expensive process. An expensive appointment. Yeah, uh, <laughs> got uh, thankfully got uh, about two thirds back through our health insurance. But woohoo, health insurance. Sorry, America. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it was expensive. But um, yeah, so waited about three months to, to get an appointment for that. And uh, when I finally saw the psychiatrist, um, so the referral was for kind of like a, a double assessment for both ADHD and ASD, as I'd mentioned. And uh, during the little bit over an hour appointment, uh, he mainly asked questions about the ASD side of things uh, to only conclude at the end, uh, basically what my psychologist had already said, which like, it's possible you might have ASD. Um, if you want, I can refer you for a further assessment. And I'm like, but that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to get an assessment. Please assess me. Um, and uh, he hadn't brought up the ADHD once, basically. And then, so I asked him, okay, and what about the ADHD? And he's like, oh, no, you don't have it. Mm. And he didn't, like, I didn't feel like during the appointment, he asked any questions that, that would be related to the ADHD. Um, like, all the questions he asked was very... Yeah, ASD oriented, like a lot of questions about uh, how I interact socially, like how I pick up on other people's cues, all that sort of thing. Uh, but like there wasn't really any questions about um, 
like my attention span or how I'm doing with tasks I don't actually enjoy or like all these things that were quite typical to to ADHD he didn't ask uh, once about any of that 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 I felt of course I'm not a psychiatrist Mm. maybe there was uh, things that he asked me or through some of my answer he might have inferred some things but in my uh, opinion and like feeling at the end of the appointment uh, didn't feel like he asked me anything or didn't get any information that would be like that would inform his decision either way to be able to say yes I have ADHD or no I don't and so um, and a few hours after the appointment (laughs) so I was it was like a one-on-one appointment just between me and the psychiatrist Um, and then at the end of the appointment he asked me if it was okay for him to call you yep to ask you a few questions Uh, which I thought was weird but that was yeah, like, I can understand asking, like, the family and close ones of someone, like, to get... No, I, I understand, yeah. like, trying to get a better read on the person, but it just seemed weird that he wanted to, like, do it over the phone and not so much in person, and I don't know. It just, there was a... Again, like, my sibling has been diagnosed with ASD and ADHD, and that was never a part of the diagnostic process, so that kind of was like, okay, that's an interesting way to do it, but whatever, he obviously has his own process, this guy, so let's go with it. Yeah. Shall I, because you had the phone call, shall I, you describe <laughs> uh, that experience? So this psychiatrist calls me, and he he's condescending off the bat, and he asks me why Ben went to get an ASD and ADHD assessment and I said because he thinks he probably has ADHD his therapist isn't sure if it's ADHD or ASD so he sent Ben to get a proper assessment by somebody who is well versed in both ADHD and ASD i.e you Mr. Psychiatrist Man and he then started asking me questions again relating to ASD for you like are you awkward in social situations or are you good at reading a room? Or do you pick up on sarcasm? And I pointed out that, like, you yourself are a very sarcastic person anyway. And, like, you're good at making jokes. And, again, I've lived with someone with ASD, and I wasn't picking up any signs of ASD from you. And I've always said this to you, that, like, I don't see it in you. That doesn't mean you don't have it. Obviously, my experience with ASD is limited to my sibling. And no, no two people with ASD act the same, but I just didn't get the vibe from you. What I was getting from you is a vibe of ADHD. And I said this because he kept pushing that you have ASD, you have ASD. And at one point I said, and I, I, I don't. I yeah. think also he kept uh, kind of getting confused uh, or like uh, mixed up is that I have a hard time identifying my own emotions. Yeah. Um, but he uh, kept going on about how I struggle identifying other people's other, emotions. Like reading yeah. other people's emotions, which. I personally feel I'm not too bad at. I I know I'm not as good as your average Joe at it. Uh, but I don't like I don't consider myself bad at it especially compared to how bad I am at identifying my own emotions. Yeah, and your your issue with reading other people's emotions is having grown up in a household where emotions weren't shown. You didn't get that education as a child of like, oh, when someone acts like this that means they're probably feeling frustration or anger. And if someone acts like this, that means they probably feel disappointed or sad. You never had that lesson. You only started really learning that properly, I would say even in high school, like secondary school. When you started hanging out more with your peers and less with your parents, did you start realizing that like, hey, humans have emotions. Um, So he was pushing a lot on that and just asking so many questions about ASD. And I ended up, after a good 10, 15 minutes of this, said, I don't think he has ASD. And I don't think this is a worthwhile conversation, which really angered the guy. And he was definitely misogynistic. And that came up a lot more later on in our conversation. But I'd already picked up on this at this point. And he goes, oh, you don't think he has ASD? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, "Uh uh-huh. So what do you think he has? I said, I think, like he does, that he has ADHD, most likely inattentive type ADHD. And he went, "Uh uh-huh. And why would you think that? Because he doesn't. He has ASD. 
And I took a deep breath because I was very close to throwing the phone across the room at this point. He was just frustrating me so much. Um, I took a deep breath and I said, well, my sibling has ADHD and my dad has ADHD or most likely has ADHD. He was never actually fully diagnosed. Um, and there's a lot of things Ben does that is exactly what they will do to the point that like I have, and you know this and I've told you this, you remind me so much of my dad and my sibling in the sense that like, you all do the same things. And when we lived there, even my stepmom pointed it out that like you three are just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> like this is not just something I have seen. A lot of people who know you and my family have all said the same thing that you guys are all very similar. Like my grandmother routinely calls you by my dad's name because she's just kind of gotten the two of you confused in the sense of like you act so similar. Yeah. So this is not just me. A lot of other people have noticed you act like two other members of my family who have ADHD. So I said this to the psychiatrist and he kind of paused and went, so what things does he do that makes you think he has ADHD? And I thought, well, could you be more condescending? Um, so I gave the first example that came through my head, which is an example I give to a lot of people about like what it's like living with someone with ADHD. It's um, so people who don't have ADHD, when you see the pile of dirty dishes next to the sink, it's an automatic reflex for most of us to wash those dishes. So in our case, we have a dishwasher. So it's an automatic reflex. Oh, dirty dishes in the dishwasher. Dishwasher's full, turn it on. Dishwasher's finished, empty the dishwasher. Like that's a normal, and you don't even consider and think about it. Yes. However- Well, at least like it bothers you enough that like, yeah. you eventually do it. Yeah, for some people, it, you wait until, like, you have to do the dishes <laughs> because it's an annoying big pile or you've run out of, like, bowls or something. But, like, you see the pile of dishes and it's always in the back of your mind, even if you're like, oh, I'll deal with that tonight after work. It's still just kind of there that, like, I have to deal with the dishes, I have to deal with the dishwasher when I get home. Like, it's, it's just there buzzing in the back of your head. And as I explained to this psychiatrist, my sibling, my dad, and Ben all do the same thing. <laughs> There can be a mountain of dishes and they will not get dealt with until somebody points it out outright to them. So I explained with Ben, if there's a pile of dishes, he won't put them in the dishwasher until I've been like, hey, Ben, could you maybe like put the dishes in the dishwasher? Because he just doesn't notice that there's dirty dishes. It's, it's you're not like purposefully ignoring the dishes. No. It just doesn't click in your head. Oh, dirty dishes go in a dishwasher. You just you like scan past it almost yeah yeah and i explained that in like those terms because obviously i'm not like a therapist or a doctor or psychiatrist i don't have all the medical fancy schmancy terms for adhd and the psychiatrist just paused and went i don't think he has adhd i think you need to stop nagging him about doing the chores and do it yourself yeah geez brian stop <laughs> nagging me about doing the i like that psychiatrist all of a sudden he's like yeah, that guy, he's the real deal. But then he went on and explained that a lot of like couples have these issues. And instead of nagging your partner about doing the dishes, you should just do them yourself. To which I paused and said, I have a, like a, what was she like, four or five months old at that time? Like I have a baby that I have to look after and I have to look after myself. I'll be damned if I do your dishes. <laughs> like, no, we split up the chores evenly when we moved in together years ago. I still do most of your chores anyway because it bothers me and it doesn't bother you. So I just yeah. end up getting them done, which that's just how our dynamic has worked. But it's not its not that I'm nagging you to do the chores and that's why you don't do them. No. You're not doing it out of spite because your annoying wife is nagging you. You don't do them because you don't notice them. And if I don't say, like these last few days, I haven't told you to do the dishwasher. Listeners, there's a pile of dirty dishes on my counter, <laughs> which I'm about to go deal with. I did it last night. Because I told you to. <laughs> I didn't tell you the two nights before and you didn't do it. I worked late. Yeah. I would have done it had I not worked as late. Anyway, so the, <laughs> that's like one thing I forgot to mention about that psychiatrist is at the end of the appointment when he said I uh, most likely have ASD and if he wants he can refer me for further assessment even though that was the whole point I was seeing him was for an ADHD and ASD assessment. Uh, he also said that like with ASD, there's not much you can do about it. Like, there's no, like, medication or anything for it. And so, um, what I should just do is uh, Google ASD and learn coping <laughs> mechanisms from that. I remember that. 
that's the last little gold nugget I uh, leave. That was your professional advice. That's His professional advice is get your wife to stop nagging you and Google. And Google ASD <laughs> and learn your coping mechanisms from that. There's not much more you can do about it. Which, this was like a $500 appointment. <laughs> which you is... to Google it. I'm not saying that's not going to help. I'm saying that uh, from what I've seen, there's a lot more you can do than just that. So I was so mad when he... Because again, like my sibling was diagnosed with ASD when they were four. So like I have seen what you can do with ASD and how much you can help. When you first met my sibling, they didn't talk. They, they were verbal, but they didn't talk to new people. No. They couldn't hold a conversation. They were uncomfortable sitting at the dinner table with everybody else. They, my sibling has a weird thing about eating. They eat foods in specific, like they have, food can't touch. Um, so like if they're having a sandwich, they'll separate the sandwich into the bread, the ham, the cheese. Um, they'll scrape the butter off the bread if needed. And then they eat everything in one, like all the ham in one go, then all the cheese in one go. And when you first met them, that's what they were like. And they, yeah. they, they struggled a lot. And then when you lived with us, which was... Probably like six years, seven years later, something like that. Yeah. They were... Six years later. Yeah, six years later. They were a lot better. They are now able to eat foods yeah. mixed together if they have to. Like if we're at a restaurant, they'll not like separate everything. They're able to hold a conversation. Most times, they'll zone out at times, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> I find anyway. Um, like they, they have improved in those six years from when you first met them yeah. to when we lived with them. And like, you can do a lot with ASD. I'm not saying you can cure it, but people with ASD can learn coping mechanisms that can help them better. I'm not going to say better adapt to the neurotypical world because that shouldn't be the goal, but they can remove some of the traits that they don't like about their ASD. Like my sibling got really bullied at school for the food separation thing they do. And so that was something they wanted to focus on to get rid of. So that at school, they don't have to do that. So they don't have to get bullied for it. Yeah, it's like remove stressors. Yeah. Not necessarily like convert them into a neurotypical, but yeah. like... And obviously a lot of it is masking. And they've just learned to mask a lot of their like yeah. neurodivergencies. Um, but they're a lot happier for it. In the sense that like now when they eat with a group of other like young adults... No one's making fun of them for scraping the butter off of the bread and that kind of stuff, which happened a lot when they were a kid. And so, like, there's a lot you can do with ASD. So to be told, like, when you told me that he told you to just Google it, I got so mad because, like, my sibling has been seeing a therapist since they were diagnosed at four every week, and it's really helped them. They were nonverbal as a four-year-old, pretty much. They now can hold a conversation with a complete stranger on a train. Like... A yeah. lot has changed in that amount of time, but that's because they've been getting the right support and help and they've been doing the therapy at home and like in the therapist's office. So I just got really mad when you told me he told you to Google it and that was your only solution. Yeah. And a little bit of a strong opinion there. Uh, when we say there's more that can be done for ASD, ABA is not it. Yeah, yeah, ABA yeah. Jumping is in on that abuse. one. Abuse. Uh, <laughs> it's literally created by the same guy who uh, did uh, gay conversion therapy, and who has now come out as gay. Just ironic. Sorry. <laughs> wanted to throw um, that out there. And so, yeah, and it's basically the same principle behind uh, ABA and gay conversion therapy. So uh, that's not it, but but there is things that can be done. There are healthy, productive, positive things that can help somebody with ASD better handle the symptoms and traits they do not like about themselves. Let's put it that way. Yes. So, uh, back to your diagnostic back process. Back to my diagnostic process after this little ASD tangent. Um, I was quite obviously not very satisfied <laughs> with uh, the outcome of this $500 appointment that I waited <laughs> three months to have. Um, and uh, so I, I brought it up to my uh, psychologist because like, I have regular appointments with him. So, um, and he also agreed that it seemed a bit uh, weird and not very professional for him, the way he conducted the assessment. And so what I did is I went back to my GP and got a, a referral for a different psychiatrist, which actually had a much shorter uh, wait time. So yeah. that was good. Uh, I was able to see him like two, three weeks uh, after my other referral compared to uh, the three months I initially had to wait to see uh, 
the problematic psychiatrist. Um, <laughs> the misogynistic one. Yes. And so uh, I saw the other um, psychiatrist and the first uh, appointment, um, he... Uh, so he said he doesn't think that I have uh, ASD, which at the moment I overall agree with that. It, mm-hmm. It's hard to know for sure, but like... Of course, especially because you tested borderline. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit borderline, but then there's like, there's so much overlap between ADHD, ASD, partly like depression anxiety and how you were raised and like yeah environmental factors like how i was raised and so that uh he relatively quickly said he doesn't think i have it uh and then for the adhd part um what he said is that he acknowledges that there is an attention deficit uh which is like one of the main symptoms of um inattentive type adhd uh, however, he wasn't uh, sure after this first appointment whether that attention deficit was because of ADHD itself or if it was just a symptom of something deeper, uh, such as uh, complex PTSD uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the way I was raised. As uh, Brian was explaining earlier on, I wasn't like exposed to much any emotion yeah like real life uh emotions and like we don't really talk about anything deep in my family and all of that so and like there was like a lot of contrast between my two parents Mm -hmm. uh like my dad was uh very like cold and distant while my mom was very like smothering and suffocating and always like trying to be as involved as she can with sometimes it's too involved and like this like complete opposite between the two like not kind of giving me a clear frame of reference of like how to adult <laughs> yeah and they never like talk together about anything real like they'll be yeah. like how was your day oh good how was yours oh yeah fine like that's their conversations so you never saw what conversation looks like no and yeah or, like, how to, like, voice any concerns I might have and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I ended up bottling up a lot of emotions and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, yeah, he wasn't uh, able to definitely say whether it's uh, ADHD or a symptom of uh, complex PTSD. And uh, so we booked... Um, further like subsequent appointments to to explore this further and at the beginning uh, of both uh, appointments uh made me do like a, a little test was it like the diss i think like mm-hmm. it's uh, depression anxiety and stress screening oh <laughs> the test i always fail <laughs> i know that test i always score uh, like i fail i score high which is not good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so uh he compared uh, the results from from both the test of the first appointment and the second appointment, and he like noticed my uh, depression and stress. Well, all, all three I think had uh, gone up uh, since the last time I saw him, and so he asked, kind of like, "What what was going on at the time that like would have made all these things uh, worse from the first time I saw him?" and Right around that time, like, I was uh, under a lot of stress with uh, work and I was kind of, like, stuck in a big uh, task that uh, was, like, extremely boring and I had no interest in and therefore I was really struggling to work on it Mm -hmm. and therefore it was accumulating delay, which made, like, there was a lot of pressure to get it finished and I was still not managing and it was kind of like a vicious cycle. And so explaining all of that to him and that, like, because I wasn't interested uh, in it, that made I was, like, physically extremely struggling to actually work on it. And that in itself was making, like, my depression worse. And then there was, like, stress from management, like, pushing to get that done, etc. And so based on that explanation, he uh, said that, like, it sounds like it might actually be uh, ADHD. Mm-hmm. 
And so... And I was there for that appointment, and he asked me, what did I think? Yeah. And again, I said the same thing. I said, my sibling has ADHD, so does my dad. Honestly, I see so much of it in Ben. If I had to diagnose him, I would diagnose him with ADHD, no doubt. Because, like, there's just too many similarities. It's not a coincidence at this point. And I really like that he asked me just outright, what do you think? And then actually listened to me. Yes. And I was actually physically present, so he could also read my body language. And I think he saw when you were explaining about work that I was, like, nodding. And, like, I looked not exasperated, but definitely, like, I was confirming everything you were saying that it was as bad as you were saying it yeah was. and i think me being physically present actually really helped with the whole diagnostic side of things mm-hmm. and so uh what he did in that appointment is that he uh prescribed me uh with adhd medication which is um ritalin in my case um and like almost as a but not like Partly as a way to kind of help confirm the diagnosis. He said, like, if you do have ADHD, it's going to help. If you don't, it's not going to help that much. Yeah. Um, and especially because at that time, the ADHD was making my, my depression and anxiety worse. Um, like, it was anyway a, a good moment to, to try that. Because yeah. if it does work, then it should also help these. And so um, that was kind of like the that second appointment. And... I haven't seen him since. Mm. Uh, the The medication has helped uh, quite well, and therefore, kind of like took that as the the implied diagnosis between like, yeah. the fact that he thinks it's uh, most likely ADHD, and that the the medication he prescribed uh, actually worked quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, On the topic of meds, I just want to say to anyone listening who might be a, the partner of someone with ADHD, I don't really notice the days you take your meds. I notice the days you don't take your meds. Yeah. Because the days Ben doesn't take his meds, absolute chaos breaks loose in the house. And it's just... And I'm really like, oh, wow, you did not take your meds today. So if you're with someone who has ADHD who is on medication and you feel like they still have ADHD and they're still, like, forgetting things and, like, losing their phone every five seconds and you might feel exasperated from that, that's normal. Wait till the day your partner doesn't take their meds. Mm-hmm. You will realize the meds are doing something. And I do want to throw that out there because that was something I definitely realized when you started going on the meds. I was like, I don't feel like there's much of a change. You have definitely felt a change with the meds yeah. than without. But from an outsider perspective, you are better when you're on your meds, for sure. Like, better than you were. But I didn't notice as big of a leap, I think, as I was expecting to notice. Yeah. I noticed it because there was one day a few weeks in you did forget your meds. And I noticed it. Because it was, it was like how you were before, but times 10. And that's when I was like, okay, the meds really are actually doing something. So if you are the partner or family member or friend of someone with ADHD, you trust that the meds are working because when they don't take their meds, you will notice that the meds were working. Yeah. And so, um, just while we're on the topic of the meds, I was initially on the normal uh, type of Ritalin. So I was taking it uh, in the morning and at lunch. And the thing is, I was already taking some pills in the morning, so that I was okay at taking my morning pill uh, yeah. of Ritalin because I was anyway in the routine of, of having some yeah, to take some pills in the morning. However, uh, I didn't have any other pills I needed to take at lunch, and therefore I was extremely bad at taking my medication at lunch. And that's when I realized the pills were because <laughs> afternoons are hell. <laughs> and so uh, since then, I've uh, talked to my GP and changed my prescription to a. Uh, slow release um ritalin and therefore it's just the one pill in the morning that has like the dose for the whole day and it releases like progressively throughout the day mm-hmm. uh and that's um the medication itself doesn't help me more than the the normal one but because i'm less likely to not you're less likely to, to forget n- it yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was confused about the amount of negation <laughs> <laughs> negatives i needed to put in that sentence anyway um yeah uh it, it's helping me more the the slow release one um and one thing i want to talk about still is um so after, after my my first appointment with the the bad psychiatrist uh i was uh quite gutted especially like i had waited so long for that appointment only for it to not really lead to anything useful and it was like quite a lot of money and therefore like I was 
a loss as to what to do next. Uh, I was kind of like second guessing myself and like wondering like, is it worth like going to my GP and asking for uh, like a referral to another psychiatrist? And therefore, like I felt like if I did that, I'd be like, you have this stereotype of the, the people that see doctor after doctor until they get the diagnosis mm. they wanted to hear. And so, uh, like, uh, I struggle, like, internally to find, like, that balance between getting a second opinion because I really wasn't satisfied with the one I got initially, mm-hmm. but accepting the fact that that doesn't mean I'm that person that just will keep saying psychiatrist after psychiatrist until I finally get that, like, find one that diagnoses yeah. me with ADHD. Um, and... After the first appointment with the second psychiatrist I saw, um, I was I was hoping to like get a definitive answer whether like yes you have ADHD or no you don't and kind of be settled with it. And the fact that the first appointment uh, ended with him saying like he's definitely seeing the attention deficit, but he doesn't know whether it's because of uh, ADHD itself or if it's a symptom of something else and we needed to have further appointments to discuss that and at the time I didn't know how many uh, further things and so like I just wanted to to have an answer and that that was quite hard mm-hmm. uh, the fact that after the, that first appointment with the second uh, psychiatrist I was kind of I was further than I was before going to see him, but I wasn't as far as I was hoping I would be when I went to that appointment. So so that was kind of hard. Yeah. Um, and so after that, what happened? Like, I uh, disclosed my diagnosis with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, like explaining that I have inattentive type ADHD and kind of like giving some examples of like what it means uh, on my day-to-day life and in particular like examples that that they've seen Uh, like uh, the fact that yeah when I was in high school as you mentioned uh, like I was struggling a lot to do homeworks in the subjects that I wasn't interested in and therefore like Teachers called them a few times and they're like, I know it created a lot of anxiety for my mom and stuff like that. And so... Yeah, okay, but let's just point out, your mom gets anxious over like... That. Yes, yes. She, she, she's she, quite, she, quite she the She said she was person. traumatized because a packet she sent us was late. So your mom is... is yeah, because she thought the packet was lost. So she, she's on the verge of a nervous breakdown, your mother. Let's just point that one out too. Like, of course she was getting anxious because something wasn't right. Yeah, and so... And the fact that like... In, even in the subjects I was doing well in school, like I st- was still like losing marks on tests because I wasn't seeing some questions. Like <laughs> I c- remember really clearly uh, a quite important math exam where I got 97% because the three marks I lost was literally I didn't see a question. All the other questions, I got them right. And I was so annoyed at myself that I lost Like, I didn't get a perfect mark only because I didn't see one question on the paper. And that was, like, a typical thing for you. Because I remember when you told me that in high school. Yeah. I kind of, like, rolled my eyes and was like, yeah, what else is new? Like, you always do this kind of stuff. You're always missing, like, the obvious It clearly wasn't the first time. Like, I remember, like, first grade, I was still, like, I was already doing this kind of thing. And therefore, like, I shared all of that with my parents. And my mom's answer was, like... You know what, like, looking back, it makes sense. And in a way, that kind of hurts. Because mm. if looking back, it makes sense, like, why couldn't have you seen it on the moment and do something about it? And therefore, like, I'd have, like, a lot more years of being able to, to manage it mm-hmm. and, and get a better handle on it. Uh, compared to to only being able to properly do something about it uh, at the age of 25 so yeah and especially for me the most shocking was like your mom's a teacher she works with kids and some of her students have ADHD like and obviously she didn't see in you because she didn't want to she she wanted the perfect baby and if you have a mental condition you're not perfect in her eyes not in my eyes that's just I'm sure what she saw the if she accepted 
that you might have ADHD as a kid, that means you weren't perfect. And yeah. I think, I honestly think she knew and avoided it, which is normal for your parents. Oh, there's a problem. Let's pretend it's not there. So. And in that sense, because I went uh, my whole school journey with uh, undiagnosed ADHD, but that was very much there. Uh, there was like a lot of, of consequences to that, like um, like being called, like my mom actually said in the, in the email when I uh, told her uh, my diagnosis, she said, oh, like, it's good to know, like, that's actually what was going on, like, on the moment I thought you were just lazy, mm-hmm. and like, uh, I've heard that a lot throughout the years of my undiagnosed, unmanaged ADHD is, yeah, being told, like people feeling I'm I'm lazy or if you just applied yourself more, you'd have like so much more potential. Like you that have a lot of wasted potential and all that. And um, that's like quite hard to hear. And, and especially having so many years of hearing that without knowing why that's the way I act. Uh, I think it, it affects your your self image, and mm-hmm. you therefore like you do start thinking like there's something wrong with you, and why can't I just apply myself more? And and we'll go into more detail on that in a different yeah. episode because that's a completely different thing that we both have stories on. Exactly. So, um, we didn't receive any listener questions, so I think we'll just leave it at that. Yes. Reason we didn't receive any listener questions is we've only literally just like launched the podcast, so. Yeah, we, if you have questions, please. We send recorded them in. the trailers like a few weeks ago, but we've only posted it yesterday as of the time of recording. So. Because Mr. ADHD didn't edit it in time. Yeah, I'm in charge <laughs> of editing, and then I got quite uh, busy with uh, work and hobbies, and therefore, like, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't, and therefore. It's fine. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's it from us for this week. So we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, and for your questions, uh, the social is at TypicallyPod on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so yeah, don't hesitate to send us any questions and hopefully we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.